0: Welcome, everybody. Uh, lunchtime at LSE, and we, we have a, an exciting lunchtime event. My name is Sam Fankhauser. I'm director of the Grants and Research Institute here at the LSE. Um, but you're here for, for my guest, um, the Honourable Catherine McKenna, Minister uh, of Environment and Climate Change in Canada. Um, Catherine McKenna has been elected to Parliament not that long ago, in October 2015, and then it took her less than a month to become a minister. She became a minister uh, under the Trudeau, the Liberal government, in November 2015, and was dispatched to Paris, I think, within days of of, of taking office. So it's quite an amazing career progression. My theory is it has something to do with with your education, um, because uh, Catherine holds a master's degree in international relations uh, from LSE. She's also studied law at McGill University, and she was an undergraduate at the University of of Toronto. And I think law is what you did before you uh, took on your your current role. Um, You're a a, a member of the Law Society of Upper Canada at the New York Bar. Um, My notes say that you practice competition law and international trade law. Wikipedia tells me that you uh, trained in human rights law and social justice so you will have to clarify which one, probably both of those that you did certainly um, you have an interest in human rights and social justice one of the things Catherine has done was she was a senior negotiator for the UN peacekeeping mission in East Timor so quite an amazing really amazing uh, CV career, the best no doubt still to come But why don't we start off with uh, the students here in the room, many of whom will be sitting there and thinking, uh, wow, how can I make a career like that? How can I make a difference? What would you tell them?
1: Uh, Chill out. Um, no, uh, I mean, I actually kind of mean that, in that I know a lot of students here, you're probably feeling a lot of pressure. And, and maybe you're even saying like, wow, I'd really like to have a career like that. Um, I did the same thing, I'm not going to tell you how long ago, but it was a long time ago. Um, life, there's serendipity in life, there's hard work in life, um, and there's a little bit of, you know, who you know, making connections. And I think those all kind of work together, and, and then most of all, there's your passion. Right, And that's actually the most important thing. You have to not have people drill it out of you. Uh, I was in corporate law so it almost got drilled out of me for, uh, for a bit. But actually useful now because I often have to go to negotiations Um, When I look at my career, um, it only makes sense in retrospect. Like you can go and create a narrative about everything you did um, and it sounds really like a nice tidy package. But that's not how life works, right? Like, you know, you have a partner. So I ended up working in Indonesia. My husband also graduated the London School of Economics. Uh, He tells me his program was harder. He was in international history. until mine was more fun, I don't know. Um, it, uh, we ended up in Jakarta which was really interesting. Started my career in Jakarta, like what a strange place to start a, a career. Um, this is when Suharto fell, um, so students were demonstrating on the streets and East Timor voted for independence. And I said like let's go to East Timor and work for the UN. So I was able to do that. Um, uh, certainly my background and passion was really uh, really human rights, social justice, but you have to pay the bills, like your LSC bills sometimes. Um, so it's good, uh, you know, I, I got some experience in the corporate world. Um, and then after that, came back to Canada, did international trade and competition law, but also started a charity called Canadian Laws Abroad, now Level Justice. Um, and I did different things um, after that, I, I, or at the same time I taught. Um, But, I mean, I think the most important thing to remember is that uh, you're not going to figure it all today. Um, You're not going to get the job you want as soon as you graduate, uh, unless you're really lucky. Um, But if you work really hard, um, if you're always kind of looking at what are you passionate about and pursuing that, either on a voluntary basis um, or ideally a paid basis, um, you'll eventually get there. And certainly having... Uh, you know, a degree from the London School of Economics really helped. Like people knew, like when I went to Jakarta and I was, it, it was the height of the economic crisis. I didn't have a bar yet, so I hadn't, I didn't know if I'd passed the New York bar. But people look at, you know, and they're like, wow, you went to the London School of Economics. I mean, that's, you know, showing that, you know, that you did well in school to get here, um, that you kind of have an understanding of the world, um, and it, it that, that, that matters. But. The chill-out part is a bit the chill-out part because y- you can't force everything, and it's not all going to happen at once. But, uh, and the last thing is really the passion. Keep your passion. Um, it's easy to get discouraged. Um, life is going to throw curveballs. Um, you, you, know, you might have a parent who gets sick and you have to go care for them, or you have a partner that takes you off to Jakarta or whatever it is. Um, but you can end up in the right spot. And I obviously am so thrilled that I'm in this position now, but how could I have known? Like, certainly in politics, you can't really know because politics timing is, is really everything. And um, I feel really fortunate, though, that I, I'm in uh, this really awesome job now.
0: And just to make clear, we didn't pay you for the, for the LSE plug. that just, that just came. Um, but let's sort of talk about your, your current job. And, and there was sort of a tangible change in tone and substance on environmental policy, when you took office, An amazing sort of piece of political leadership. How did you? How did oh, well, you do we, that?
1: We believe climate change is real, so that was a, that was a good change, um, <laughs> and we could say climate change. <laughs> And we could not unmuzzle our scientists, so those are obviously really important pieces. I mean, I I say that in jest, but I don't. Um, I think you can get very discouraged by what you're seeing um, in the U.S. at the federal level. But the good news is in Canada, actually, there was a lot of action on climate change by provinces and and through their leadership. Um, Part of the reason I ran is because I thought we needed a change. I have three kids. It wasn't necessarily, you know, you don't know how things are going to go in politics. I didn't know if I'd win. I I was in Ottawa Centre. I had to knock on a lot of doors. We knocked on to the hard work thing. uh, More than 100,000 doors with my team. Two years out, we started. Um, But when we came in, we wanted to do things differently. The Prime Minister really believes that we owe it to the next generation, we owe it to you guys, to do things better, to make decisions based on science and evidence, to actually play a leadership role in the world that Canada can punch above our weight. And the first thing, I mean, it was, it was actually, the tone was set because I was, when I, I was asked by the Prime Minister, um, I was asked to be the first ever Minister of Environment and Climate Change. Um, I almost fell off my seat because my background, I care about the environment, but I wasn't an environmentalist. Um, and then I was told that I was going off to Paris two days later. And actually, just to say you should never, there are no dumb questions, so I thought about it for a bit because everyone kept on talking about COP, COP21. COP21 and so I finally said, okay, what's a COP? Um, so that's where I started. Like, I didn't know it was Conference of the Parties, um, but in the end, we were able to play a, a really important role. And that actually set the stage. What was really great, um, and I have great public servants, actually, I, I think a number of them are here, I mean, we were, I was trying to figure all of this out, but we took a totally different approach. We went with provinces and territories. We went with indigenous peoples. We went with young people. Um, and we pushed a number of areas that were really important in the longer term on our agenda. So we pushed for recognition of indigenous peoples um, and indigenous rights, um, which was extraordinarily important. Um, it was reflected. Uh, we really pushed on gender. Um, right now we're, we're leading to have... Um, that gender is reflected in, in the work program, um, the, the Paris Work Program, but also that we have women negotiators, um, so that we train women um, to be at the table. And so we were able to do a lot. I was able to be involved directly in the negotiations of the market tax. I really believe in the important um, important role that markets play, and that set the stage for um, for what we then had to do in Canada, which I know you're going to talk about. But we, you know, we had to come back after year after years of a government doing nothing, and when your emissions go like this, uh, bending the curve is really hard.
0: And how do you make it sustainable? How do you make it stick? When, when, what happens when the other lot gets back in? Will they reverse everything you do?
1: Uh, well, I'm going to knock on a lot of doors so they won't get back in, but uh, no, I, you have to, that stickiness is important. And um, I think you can look at what happened in the United States where I worked extremely closely with the Obama administration. They led on climate action. They pushed so hard. Um, they were very instrumental in getting an ambitious Paris agreement, um, but they're gone now, and I worry about that, right? Like, you can't be lurching. Um, businesses don't even like They don't like it when you lurch. They need certainty about, you know, if we're moving to a low-carbon future, they want to see that. And so I think that, that you, there are many ways that you have to tackle climate change. Regulation, clearly extremely important. Market signals, putting a price on pollution, climate uh, a carbon disclosure. There's, you know, pieces like that. There's investments in innovation, um, but there's also bringing people on board. And so and inevitably, I know people are going to ask, ask me about pipelines. I, I get a lot about uh, pipelines in the oil sands, um, and we're in a transition, folks. Like, it's hard. Things are hard. Um, and I, I say this, but I actually really mean it. I'm the minister of environment and climate change for. Oil sands workers, as much as I am for uh, environmentalists. Like, people need jobs. And that doesn't mean the job is always going to be the same job. It's just that if you don't convince people that you have a plan, that you're being thoughtful, that they're part of it, that there is going to be a transition, but that you will still have a job, most people are, I realize, when you knock on doors. They're trying to get food on the table, they're trying to get their kids to activities and they care about the environment and in Canada it's great, people really care about the environment, but they're just trying to figure out what is the future and bringing people on board is really important. It really is. It's mapping out. It's explaining. It's how you talk about things. Um, talking about putting a price on pollution. I think suddenly people understood. They're like, yeah, I hate pollution. So it became more acceptable that you would put, you would price what you don't want, pollution, so you get what you do want, lower emissions and innovation. But how you talk about it, how you engage people, listening to folks, is, is I think the ultimate in stickiness.
0: So, we had. Have- Jeff Sachs here, as you know, about a week ago and look in the audience, some of the faces look familiar, they were here and you remember what Jeff Sachs said he said two things, first of all that you're an amazing environment minister second, he said, uh, ask her how long or you will dig up tar sands, and it is sort of a legitimate question, we know two thirds of all fossil fuels we know have to stay in the ground, yours are a bit expensive, or are a bit dirty why don't you leave yours in the ground how long will that take?
1: Well, I mean, so as I said, we're in a transition, right? We had a government that for 10 years did nothing, so you, you can't you can't just say overnight, boom, we're closing the oceans. You can't. I mean, in fact, it would have a, such a negative impact on the economy in in, in Canada, a, a dislocating impact that it would actually impact on our ability to do the things that we want to do to move to a low carbon future. We're making historic investments in public transit and in, in green infrastructure. You know, you, you need to do things in a logical way. And so that's why we've been so focused on, you know, putting a price on pollution. We also have to work with provinces. And Alberta it has a progressive government, um, the first ever government to do what is tough, to put a hard cap on emissions from the oil sands, to put a price on carbon pollution, um, and to phase out coal. And those are really important pieces. They're not everything. Um, But, you know, the the thing I would say to Jeff Sachs, we've had many conversations, is there's also the demand side. So there's still a lot of cars out there that are not electric vehicles, right? We still have inefficient houses. We still have – I mean, we need to move forward. And, of course, that we're moving to a cleaner future. And, of course, I would love to be as ambitious as possible – but people, we need, to, we need to figure this out for people. We need to figure this out for government. We need to always ratchet it up. That's why the Paris Agreement is, 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 is extremely good because you have to ratchet up the ambition. We need to foster innovations, and those are the small innovations, and those are the game-changing innovations. Like, we have great innovators in Canada. One of the ones I talk about is Carbon Cure out of Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Anyone here from Dartmouth? Oh, Nova Scotia? Canada. All oh, right, we got. It, we got. It. That's All right, Canadians Canada. That's around. awesome. I love that there are Canadians here. y a des francophones. Oui. Alors, bonjour, francophones. Je peux parler en français après, ou avec vos questions. But uh, so, Carbon Cure actually, someone who, who was doing his master's thesis at McGill, um, he looked at how do you take uh, pollution, carbon pollution, carbon dioxide out of industry and inject it to make stronger and cheaper cement. This was his master's thesis. Now, I was just uh, in California a few months ago at a cement factory where I watched his new technology being used, and it reduces the carbon footprint by 20%. Like, we also need the innovation piece. Um, So, you know, as I say, hard things are hard. Uh, We're working extraordinarily ambitiously, but we're also working, we have to work with provinces and territories. We're working with indigenous peoples, and ultimately we're working for and are responsible to Canadians.
0: You mentioned the provinces, and one of the eye-catching things that you've done recently is the Pan-Canadian Framework on Clean Growth.
1: That's tell a very us, un-eye-catching title, by the way. I call it the Made out. in Canada Climate Plan. But call it
0: what you want. Tell us what, tell us what you want to achieve with it.
1: Um, so after we came back from Paris, as I said, we had to do the hard work at home. Um, and we spent a whole year uh, working with provinces and territories, working with indigenous peoples, Uh, roundtables with industry, um, with Canadians, uh, and and really getting the input and doing the modeling. I mean, it's basically a modeling exercise. You have to figure out if you've got a a target, so we have a 2030 target. You have to get your emissions to go down, Um, and you have to figure out each sector, sector by sector, how are you going to do that, Um, and then you have to figure out what's politically possible. And those aren't always – they don't always match up, so it takes a, a lot of um, hard work. And and so there are a number of pieces to it. So announcing that we would have a price on pollution uh, across the country and that it would ratchet up, the price would go up. Um, and if provinces didn't do that, we would impose uh, – which was not what we want to do. We would like provinces um, to step up. <laughs> um, phasing out coal, uh, which requires supporting the provinces, the four provinces that are on coal – um, looking at buildings, the built environment, clearly uh, the emissions from the built environment are a big challenge. Um, we need to be building better, so um, striving towards net zero buildings. I hope I see, like, a fancy new building. I hope it's net zero. I don't know. I'll see. Ooh,
0: uh, let's uh, uh, check it <laughs> Fingers crossed.
1: Um, uh, but, uh, you know, zero emission vehicle strategy, you have to do all of those pieces and I was really proud when uh, you had last year the Prime Minister standing with all of the Premiers and with our national indigenous organizations and saying, here it is. Here's our Canadian plan. And that, you can't just announce a plan. Like, of course you could. We could sit in our little room, you know, thinking, you know, we're really smart and we've come up with it. But you, once again, it gets to getting people on board and, and provinces, you know, have to support it. Uh, and, you know, there were disagreements. We don't always, you know, it's, we don't always see eye to eye on things, but I, I, I think we got to a really good spot. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very, you know, positive that we can continue doing more um, because Canadians believe in climate action. And I think as you see the future being mapped out, you see the changes. Um, and also with the young people really pushing, um, it's, uh, I think we're in a good spot compared to other countries.
0: talk a lot about climate change, but you're Minister of the Environment. What are your other environmental concerns and priorities.
1: So the good news is in life, I le- maybe at LSA I learned this, that you can only have three real priorities. Like you can have lots of priorities. So if you like listed everything I have to do, you can go see my mandate letter. The first time ever um, our mandate letters were made public. So there's loads of things that we're, that I'm doing. I'm working with my officials and my political team. Um, but the the big thing I'm working on, two other big things I'm working on now. So continuing obviously to drive Um, on climate action, um, but redoing environmental assessments. So this includes pipelines, Um, it includes major projects, so mines, um, it could be major wind farms, um, and how we uh, make sure that we have the trust of the public as we do um, assessments. And this is a major piece, a major piece of legislation. um, that It's been very divisive, certain projects in Canada, Um, We haven't worked um, properly with indigenous peoples, um, both in terms of our international commitments, UNDRIP, our constitutional obligations, but just also in terms of a true partnership. Reconciliation is extraordinarily important to our government Um, and and making sure you have good science. And I think that this was... I was tasked with rebuilding trust in environmental assessments, working with uh, a few other ministers. And so that's really important because you have to figure that out and get it right and it's the high-low, like there's the big piece of rebuilding trust and, and reconciliation and then there's like the nitty-gritty and so if you are in law, it's not all doom and gloom because actually it serves me very well because I drive my team crazy because I'm like, well, what does this mean in practical terms? Like if I'm an investor or if I'm a member of the public who wants to feed into it, how exactly is this going to look? So that's a big piece. And then um, I'm also the minister responsible for parks as I say that's my my happy place I love if you watch my if you look at follow me on social media I love my my favorite thing is either uh, swim being out in the water swimming or in a kayak or a canoe um, and increasing uh, the percentage. Um, of, uh, of areas that we, either marine um, or land, terrestrial areas that we protect, either as a park or other protection areas, is extraordinarily important. Uh, we have UN targets um, that are ambitious. Um, so 10% of our ocean, 17% of our, our terrestrial area, our are land. Um, to be protected, it, it, it's so important. With climate change, um, that making sure that you have carbon sinks, um, that you're really thinking about the oceans and the role the oceans play is really important. Adapting to climate change, having these areas um, that, that will um, be really important in, in adaptation. Um, we have a huge problem with species at risk in Canada. Um, we've seen the decline uh, in different species, and so connected uh, spaces are, are really important. So this is a—it's a really exciting piece. Once again, working very closely with the provinces and territories. I was in the high Arctic. Who's been in the Arctic? Anyone been in the Arctic? I wish everyone would come to the Arctic. It's really—it's really stunning, um, and it's also it's really remarkable. The Inuit, the relationship with Inuit and the land, the ice, the animals. Um, and I was really excited because I was going through uh, a place called Taliurutiup, uh, Amanga, as they say, in Inuktitut, and we were able to declare it a, a, a marine conservation area, 2% of our oceans. Um, it's the gateway to the Northwest Passage, an extraordinarily important part of our ecosystem, but very important to um, Inuit. And uh, that's, like, those are the things where I realized, like, I feel like those are real legacy pieces. Like, you know, hopefully no one can ever do seismic testing um, in, in those areas that you aren't going to go develop those areas and that's, that's just really, uh, those are the things where I'm like wow, you in this job, so aspiring politicians, you actually can make a real difference uh, if you go into politics.
0: I can confirm that your parks are wonderful but let's talk uh, a bit more beyond Canada, a bit more global and I guess the international world starts to your south um, where just when Canada what, sort of there? got uh, you know, got going on the environment. The U.S. started slowing down. How Let's just it... be
1: clear: it's not the U.S. It's the U.S. administration.
0: Okay. How do you, in that case, how do you preserve the momentum uh, in the U.S.? Is it working with cities and, and states, or is there other things that you, that we can do?
1: Um. <laughs> so many ways to answer this question um no look so i mean there's the the federal government they've announced their intention to withdraw from the paris agreement to be clear they cannot actually announce their intention to withdraw until 2019 and then in, in 2020 it wouldn't take an, it wouldn't take effect until 2020 so we've certainly made the case that we think this is a a terrible idea um and that we really hope there's a way that the u.s can stay in but we've also we just hosted a ministerial meeting <laughs> Canada, for the first time, really stepped up. We co-hosted with China and the European Union uh, a meeting of major economies, which used to be actually the U.S. would host these in advance of Cops. And um, everyone there said the Paris Agreement is non-negotiable and irreversible. So that is the message that the world has has given. Um, but you know, there are many, there are many parts of the United States. There's the federal administration, there are states, there are cities. Uh, and their businesses. And it's interesting what happened. I mean, there was a bit of a reality TV show with the U.S. in or out of the Paris Agreement. Most people didn't even know what the Paris Agreement was. So suddenly the heightened understanding of the Paris Agreement, I think, was a good thing. Um, And then when the U.S. announced this decision, um, people and businesses and governors and mayors, they were louder than ever about their support for the Paris Agreement and that they were going to actually take, you know, accelerate their own action. Um, I mean, can you imagine a situation where you have the CEO of Goldman Sachs first tweet to the world is expressing disappointment with the decision to withdraw from Paris. So there's been a shift and I think that that was, it it demonstrates the shift. It demonstrates how important the Paris Agreement was um, to the markets, to business, um, and that how important it is to people. That's why cities, mayors are stepping up and governors because it's really important. So we're working very closely um, with all the other players. I've said I will work with anyone who wants to take serious action on, on climate change. Um, Governor Jerry Brown in California, they're actually not just a state. They're the sixth largest economy in the world. He's amazing, um, and we're working very closely with California. Um, I spent a lot of time with Michael Bloomberg. He's been really pushing to get recognition of subnationals and businesses in the context of the Paris Agreement. So bringing U.S. all of, you know, what does it represent, all the emissions reductions that are controlled by these folks? Um, And uh, so across the board, you're seeing this, and you're seeing this action. And, I mean, you just look at the stats, uh, science, evidence-based, that's our focus, um, that you have uh, jobs in, in renewables, they're, they're growing more than ten times that of other jobs in the US economy. The number of jobs in, in, uh, in solar and wind, I think is like maybe 485,000, give or take a few. Um, in the US, uh, the number of jobs from coal, 166,000, and it's declining. and. and Coal's not coming back, right? Like it's just not. That's a market thing. Um, and natural gas is just cheaper, and so I think that you're going to continue to see changes. Michael Bloomberg's very optimistic. He thinks that the U.S. Uh, will reach its target um, even without the Clean Power Plan. Um, and we're just going to keep on working really hard with, with the people that, that want to work on this because a lot of, I think people forget this, that everyone's always like the federal government because I get this like, all the time, why you need to do more? Well, actually 40% of emissions are under control of cities depending on how you, you look at it and so there are other really important players um, and businesses and this is everyone from Pepsi, Pepsi-Cola to Mars to Anheuser-Busch to obviously Silicon Valley companies so... There's a, there's a lot of action going on in the US.
0: So, Michael Bloomberg is optimistic. Are you optimistic? Can we still do one and a half degrees?
1: Um, one and a half degrees uh, is going to be very hard. Um, we're only, I think, at 3.7 degrees if every country does what they've said. So, that's the US even meeting its target. Um, so, we need to do more. Um, we all know this. We need to be more ambitious. And that, as I said, the Paris Agreement allows for that, it requires that, that you increase your ambition. And I'm a realistic optimist in life. I mean, I guess in politics you don't have a choice, but it's just my nature that you just have to work really hard and you have to bring people on side, but you also have to innovate. And like there's, as I say, there's huge innovations. Um, and, and they're really important pieces. So I was with Mark Carney, the, our greatest export to the UK, and just for all of you from the UK, we're taking him back someday. Uh, he, he, you know, he's talking about, about uh, carbon disclosure. I think that's really important. If you disclose the rest, that the market will adopt, adapt. And the trillions of dollars that are the opportunity, um, the, the, the trillion dollars will flow in, in the direction that we need. Um, but we're gonna need to work hard and we're going to need to support developing countries um, and help them figure out the the path forward. We're going to have to continue to push. Um, And in Canada, of course, we're going to have to continue to be ambitious.
0: How do you support developing countries in Canada? What's your (laughs) program, your level of ambition?
1: So we announced um, a historic investment um, or um, support for developing countries, $2.65 billion when we went to, to Paris. And that's to help countries both mitigate their emissions, but also very importantly adapt to the impacts of climate change. Um, and we've just seen, I mean, how challenging it is for many countries that with, you see with extreme weather events, um, like hurricanes, like droughts, like floods that are happening all over the world, um, the climate's already changing. Uh, I talked about the Canada's north. It's, glo- it's warming three times that of the rest of Canada. So... We, we need to focus on, on doing that. We do that through uh, the Green Climate Fund. We do that through multilateral funds. And I'm also a practical person, so I think we need to really help um, governments make good decisions, like make the decision to, instead of opening the new coal-fired plant, go to renewables. And so looking at – that's a financing um, piece that we can help out with. so uh, we're, we're absolutely committed and this was in the Paris agreement it's really dis- difficult negotiations on many fronts. Um, but making sure that the developed countries supported developing countries we wouldn't get a, we wouldn't have had an ambitious Paris agreement without that. Um, and so that's something we're absolutely committed to. I think we need to get the private sector more a part of this conversation too so we can have the trillions, not the hundreds uh, you know the 100 million um, billions and trillions that are needed.
0: Very good. Let's open it up. All those Canadians in the room and all those international people in the room, your chance for questions, usual sort of rules. Question means a short statement with a question mark at the end, not an essay. <laughs> and uh, please introduce yourself. They're roaming microphones, and I have a choice. Actually, why don't you have a choice? You pick your own question. I don't
1: know. Is that someone from Nova Scotia? Yes. I don't know. It's around that direction. I don't know. Blonde up there? Yeah,
0: let's start at the top. And let's collect. Uh, my maybe name is Tyler Birklin. I'm doing a master's in environmental policy here. And uh, where I are you actually, from? I'm from Norway.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So I actually worked on a farm in Montreal, and uh, it was a small organic farm. And basically, a huge problem in Canada is that the medium age of farmers is like 60 years old, and uh, monocropping, monocropping culture is massive. So I was just wondering if there was any initiative towards uh, Mm. sustainable agriculture as a policy implemented for this. Okay, Mm -hmm. question about sustainable agriculture, where do you want to go next?
1: Oh, I don't know, you know what, I'm going to invite you have lady there
0: in the middle um, as far away from the microphone as you can possibly sit but let's see whether we can get that to you. Hi, thanks for the speech. It was really interesting. Um, My name's Vabika. I'm a reporter and I write about environmental finance. (coughs) And you talked about the need of getting the private sector to to shift the trillions. And in Europe at the moment, the European Commission has a high-level exit group looking at sustainable finance to try and get policy to support that. And I understand in Canada there's a similar initiative might be happening. Are you familiar with it and have you been in talks with people in Canada about it? Okay, Thank finance you. initiative. Let's, let's just go one road forward, gentlemen in the red shirt. Then we come to you guys in the back in the next
1: round. Um, hi, my name is Daniel Witte. Um, I'm at the MSc Global Politics here and actually did my exchange at McGill, minoring in environment, when uh, the government of Trudeau was uh, went to power. So it's interesting to hear about the government's initiatives. My question is about the regional city approaches to climate change and the national approaches, which you talked about a lot. Um, the Paris agreement is seen as a more bottom up bottom up agreement whereas the Kyoto protocol was more top down um, of course, we need both actors involved. How do you see that uh, what 's the role of the state now and what will be the, the, the optimal way to balance this out okay
0: let 's do those three and right a uh, so, uh,
1: very good question so i 'll just start with that one and then i 'll go in reverse order um, so you 're absolutely right. we need regional and national approaches i, I mean the, the, the federal government we 're a federation, so it depends on you know what your structure is but in Canada, uh, so the federal government. I mean, we we set the policy framework. Some of the really big pieces, like pricing, um, we uh, we also, though, um, you know, we, we we fund initiatives. So infrastructure is a huge piece. So I, as I said, I'm from I'm from Ottawa, and um, we just invested in light rail transit in Ottawa. It will be the largest reduction in greenhouse gas his, uh, emissions in the in the in the city's history. Um, I think that you can't be too prescriptive when you're up here. So you want there to be, getting back to the organic body, you want things to be a bit organic about how things, you know, what what cities want to do. Um, But I'm just about the bottom line. I'm about emissions reductions. So I think when you put money out the door, whether you're making historic investments in social housing, which we are doing, um, that in particular for people who have the least amount of money um, you need to make sure it's energy efficient and you just drive that because you make incentives to to ensure that that you get to that spot. I mean the great thing in Canada is you have cities like Vancouver who are, I think, probably the greenest city, one of the greenest cities in the planet. And they, and they actually look at that as one of their, when they look at the value of their brand, it's based on being green and clean. Um, and they've, t- they've done some really innovative things. And so you also want to see, you want to test things, and then you want to, you know, get other cities, and, you know, to replicate them. So I think that creating incentives to do that, um, we do that with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. We have funding there. I also like competitions. I think competitions are good. So come up with your best ideas. And uh, as I say, I do want to see your emissions reduction. That's like it's the name of the game now. Uh, How much are you going to reduce your emissions? Um, But it's not always that obvious because sometimes incentives... Um, to change behaviour. You have to do the nudge and then you can get the bigger changes. So I think you have to be smart about that. But, But certainly, you know, we need to be doing both and we need to be supporting cities that are going in the right direction and it's carrots and sticks to that. Um, On the sustainable finance, I mean, this is really key. And I just did this roundtable last night, so I said, with with Governor Carney. But I had all sorts of different players there, like everything from BlackRock to major um, insurance companies to HSBC to, I mean, a whole bunch of players. And it's actually really interesting when you do that because you actually realize, like, they all realize that climate change is real and they need, you know, we need to be doing more. But it's always this question of what tools you use what incentives you have, and I think the most important thing is how do you mainstream it? So you don't want it to just be like funds, small funds. like You want it to be across the board, and that's harder. I I really do think um, what the task force did um, on climate disclosure is really, really important. Um, I think that uh, pricing, we talked a lot about that, putting a price, setting the signal, Um, having stickiness, so knowing, I mean, business just wants to know what's, like, they'll figure it out. If you say this is the framework, they will figure out how to get there, except if they think it might change. Interesting in the U.S., um, you, you haven't actually seen businesses, like, overwhelmingly say, this is great that you're removing all these regulations, because you adapt as a business. You build that into your your business model and planning. Um, I mean, one thing that they have here in the U.S. is there's the task force on green finance um, with Sir Roger and and others um, through Treasury. Uh, And I think that's really important. I think we're going to do that, that I think we need to probably think pretty hard about what will drive this trillions um, to, you know, in in really mainstream ways in the direction we need. Sustainable agriculture, I wish I had our, our Minister of Agriculture. He's a farmer from Prince Edward Island. Um, sustainable ag- agriculture is key. And there's this – oh, right, So you're up there. in the wrong spot. Um, there's the small scale, like, you know, the organic farms in cities, and then there's kind of – we have larger farms in, in, in Canada. And you've seen a real change that, that you now see um, – you know, a real focus on climate-resilient crops, on zero-till agriculture. The use of big data uh, and drones means that you can be way smarter about um, how much fertilizer you use, how much water you use. So I think that there's a huge piece there. And agriculture is also methane um, from cows, a big piece of emissions. So we need to, to figure out that figure that out. Um, and, and I think you're right about, like, what more can we be doing? Um, you know, Canada is, is is yeah. Every country is different um, in their uh, in, in terms of their approach to farming. We're also an extremely big country, um, but I think that you know, focusing on how do we in cities. Um, you know, have the ability to have, you know, local little farms um, that people play into. In Ottawa Centre, we actually have um, we have an experimental farm in the middle of the city, and we're talking about what more we could do with a food bank to have people grow food there. It's also just a good thing. People know where their food comes from. That's, most people are very disconnected from that. But then the larger scale things, because the larger scale is actually the game changers on this. So really driving um, zero-till agriculture um, and the use of of, uh, of new technologies.
0: Okay, very good. We have time for another round and we have... Uh, we can
1: do a speed round. I can be super speedy. Can, can you there's like, a lot of questions uh, here.
0: Let's see whether we can do that. Let's... let's uh, okay, very quick questions. Let's start there uh, with the gentleman right at the end. And work sort Marcus, of I'm through. a legal researcher Uh, Dividing my time between Canada and the UK. Oh, yes, hello. Hey, (laughs) Catherine. Um, I had a quick question. I like the the sort of global level. Um, The EU is introducing or expanding the ETS to shipping. And Canada has been hugely instrumental in bringing Corsier about in the ICAO. Um, Do you expect that your ministry and uh, Transport Canada will play a similar role in IMO?
1: Yes. See, that's how fast I can be. Okay. Um, yes, shipping is a key part of this um, for a variety of reasons. Black carbon, short-lived climate pollutants, but also the bigger piece. So, yes, we are we are definitely going to be involved. And I've said, as ambitious as we can be, and, and we're tough negotiators. So.
0: Okay, see whether you can keep up that speed. Um, I'm slower in choosing the questions than you are in answering them. There's a lady sort of halfway in the middle row. Me. You, yes, please. Hi.
1: Um. I'm just an A-level student, so I'm probably the youngest here, so my question. You're not just. That's good. It's International Day of the Girl, too. <laughs> okay. Um, my
0: question was, you mentioned how these poorer countries and countries all over the world, are really affected by climate change. What do you think about, as Canada, as a country, giving benefits to these poorer countries who do release less you know, carbon emissions and have less of an impact? What kind of benefits do you think rich countries should be offering them?
1: Um, so, I mean, I think we have to be supporting uh, less developed countries. I mean, I think we have a moral obligation uh, to do that. Um, and also, uh, you know, the, the, they need support. They don't have the... They just don't have the, the money. And so, I mean, that's what I was talking about, the, 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 the um, support, the $2.65 billion that, that Canada has. But beyond that, there's also the private sector funding because we often get in this, you know, how much can governments give? There is... A limit. I mean, I think government should give more, but we need trillions of dollars, so really bringing in the private sector uh, as well. It's not going to work in every project, but some projects, um, there are opportunities, but countries really need help. Um, you look at Barbuda, it was totally destroyed. Um, you're, you, you can go look in the Horn of Africa, some of the impacts of droughts, and we're just going to see this, it's going to increase, so we need to be supporting them. We also need to reduce our emissions, because we have to stop the, you know, that we have to stop the warming.
0: Let's change corner. Let's go right front row there. Hello, ma'am, It was a very interesting speech. My name is Dev. I'm from India. Uh, most of the developing economies seem to be investing in solar power. And these solar panels which are manufactured take, you know, the, uh, the electricity generated from the coal and the gas plants. And the same electric panels take 20 years to generate the electricity that is, you know, put into, you know, develop these panels. I mean, did I make myself clear? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, if these are the kind of initiatives in the government is funding and don't you think it doesn't make sense because, you know, you're using today's coal and gas power to manufacture a panel, which is going to take 20 years to generate the same amount of current.
1: So, I mean, I, I, so I mean, if you're saying, does it make sense that we move to renewables? Yes. Um, do, does it make sense that we get off coal-fired plants? Yes. Um, will it take a, a mix in your electricity sector? Yes. Um, I mean, if you look at India, I mean, India is moving uh, really fast when it comes to uh, renewables, and I, I think there's things have changed. The cost has gone down, um, so that's a huge driver. Now you have Chile. I think it's, it's you know, like it's 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 a lot cheaper uh, to use solar um, uh, than it is to to use other sources. Um, but there's also the cost if you look at the life cycle cost and the cost to the environment. Um, so we just need to make smarter choices. And uh, you know that, that means we're going to have to look at renewables. Um, you know, there, There's a whole energy mix. But we, we don't really have a choice. I mean, what's the, what's the alternative? The alternative is we'll just stay on coal because we're still using coal. I think the, coal, the alternative is we move as fast to clean up the electricity sector. I think that's key. And then we electrify everything. And we're doing it with renewables, ultimately.
0: There's an insistent hand right at the back. Let's go there. Thank you. When I was studying engineering, I spent a lot of time in Toronto. and
1: I, uh, I'm, I'm originally from the Hammer, Hamilton, so we have like a rivalry, but it's okay. I went to U of T, so I had, Toronto's all right.
0: Thank you. Um, I, I've asked these questions on Twitter, and I'd first ask that you continue to engage the conversation on Twitter, but the most important thing to say is that the only reason you would assert that reassigning fossil fuel workers to renewables and power to gas, synthetic carbon neutral fuel would hurt the economy instead of help is because the producers of synthetic fuel price, uh, such as Google Project Foghorn, for example, prices at $15 per gallon, which is based on retail electricity. If you take off-peak wind power, there's no demand at night. It's 3%. That's 55 cents per gallon. And will you please join the effort to correct that very serious mistake?
1: So uh, just to understand, I mean, if you're saying that uh, we need to transition faster, um, I agree. Um, but but transitions don't, like, you can't just say tomorrow, like, shut down oil sands and everyone's going to have jobs. That does, it doesn't work like that. Um, it is a transition. And, and like, we're working very closely with the Alberta government. They are part of the solution. They're, they really care about this. Um, but we have to do things in a smart way. It gets back to the whole thing that... It's not going to help you if you get a government that's elected, uh, you know, potentially in Alberta that doesn't believe in climate action.
0: Actually, you mentioned Twitter, so let me to check the Twitter question. Let's go, on on Twitter. Let's go check uh, it out. A You can check your Twitter while I read out the question. It's from an architect in Ottawa and uh, <laughs> slightly predictable. <laughs> I got like it's ask, good. we got some
1: like a good Ottawa connection here. They, they ask uh, the predictable
0: question about the role of architecture in tackling climate change.
1: There's no role you imagine I said that? He'd be like so upset. I know who who it is. It's uh, it's a friend of mine. Um, Look, architecture is part of it. uh, You're just going to keep on pushing me no matter where I am around the world. Um, No, look, architecture is of course part of it. Like I ask, is this a net zero building or a a building that produces energy? Because I actually really care. Like we can build better and we can build smarter, um, and we can use smart grids, but we're not doing it. Like, for the love of God, what is wrong with us? Like, sometimes I just shake my head. So, um, yes, absolutely. How we build, what materials we use, um, where we source these materials, how we build our cities, there is so much more we can do, Um, and, uh, you know, we just have to be smarter about it. So, I don't know. All I can say is, I mean, government has a role to play But everyone should be saying, like, why when you go and you know, you have your house, you have someone to renovate, you should say, like, how do I make this house as energy efficient as possible? That for new builds, we should be at least like passive standard where you aren't using um, uh, energy or active, that you're actually producing energy. We can do this. And as I say in Canada, when you do this, you actually create jobs because, you know, you create a a virtual, uh, a virtuous, Um, cycle where people renovate, they source the materials locally because people they develop the materials and then you know it just continues going on. So I think that there's a there's a huge opportunity there. Um, I'm trying to drive it at the federal government level but it's also at this, it's at the provincial level, it's at the city level and you guys are all consumers so you are all part of this.
0: Very good, let's ask a question you haven't heard before.
1: I have to get faster, maybe yes. I mean faster speed. No, The speed, speed is
0: actually impressive, uh, but we're not running out. There's a, a hand up there in the, in the middle.
1: Hi there. It's good to see you again, Minister McKenna. My name is Erin Roberts. I'm originally from Vancouver, but I came here to do my Master's in Development Studies a few years ago and stayed to do my PhD at uh, King's. I'm also an advisor to the Afghan group of negotiators. My question is about uh, enhancing ambition. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the, the ratcheting up mechanism In the agreement can you talk about how canada plans to enhance their ndc and the role of leadership in that process thank you um uh, well so of course we need to ratchet up ambition i mean we did just get our climate plan so i mean we need to implement it too And we need to work with provinces. So, to imagine that the federal government can drive all the change on our own, we can't. Um, But there's a lot of things we we can be doing in addition to regulation. Because I think everyone's always like, go regulate. Like, just if you just regulated, you just did more, you just raised your carbon price right away. Um, You just shut down the oil sands, we would solve all the problems. Well, life doesn't really work like that. Um, And there are other tools. So we're looking at our infrastructure bank. How do we fund the really big things, like getting interties um, between provinces so if you're on coal, you can get off coal easier? Um, that you're working with, with provinces that that have renewables. Um, how do you fund, um, you know, as I said, light rail transit? That's huge pieces. How do you fund transit so we, we have those returns? We're looking at... Um, Big buildings, how do you retrofit buildings? Right now, a lot of, there's not the incentives in place if you own a building and you only hold it for five years, which often what happens, you don't get the return on your investment. There's a life cycle thing. So I think it's all all hands on deck. Um, I, uh, you know, always, always looking for ideas and always looking at, you know, how do we create the right incentives? Because at the end, I think it's really, it's not what exact piece you're doing, it's how do you, all these incentives, uh, how do all these incentives work together and of course, province is a huge part of this because they have to be part of uh, the you know the, the decisions that we implement.
0: Very good. Uh, right at the back is a is a hand in the in sort of in the middle.
1: It's good. I like it. Lots of questions. Yeah. we right.
0: I'm learning something about um, um, no, this. Hi, my name good. is Chenan. I'm from Singapore, doing economics here. Uh, my question is this: um, In 2013, the Labor government in Australia was kicked out because part of it was the imposition of a carbon tax. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask, is a carbon tax, in your opinion, more feasible at a federal level or state level? And how would you convince people, in particular those that live in regional and rural areas, that actually, you know what, uh, this is a carbon, carbon taxation, putting a price on carbon is a good policy idea, because not many of them seem to be able to uh, grasp, grasp
1: it. Um, So there's there's a lot of ways to answer that. I mean, you need to show leadership, so it is important, whatever level you are, you're going to have to be a bit courageous um, because you're going to have people who are going to say, you know, things like job-killing carbon tax, ridiculous things. So you have to, you know, go out there and say this is the right thing to do and we're going forward with it. Um, How you talk about it, I've always said it's good you said price on pollution because I think then people understand. But also you have to look at the, you know, how it will impact on real people. Um, The last thing I want to do is have people who can barely pay the bills um, pay a lot more, you know, say in the north where they don't even have alternatives. And so I think you have to be very thoughtful about price, uh, about how you put a price on pollution. As I say, the good news in Canada is that we had courageous leadership at the provincial level. That was really important, that they really stepped up a number of provinces. So that meant that that people were familiar with it. Because people do get scared um, and then you have people who, uh, you know, don't even believe in climate change. Apparently there was one of them uh, from Australia here a uh, couple of days ago. You can go look at my Twitter feed. I have some serious comments about that. But. Um, you know, you have to you have to bring people on board because actually, pricing pollution is one of those things that people, you know, you have to they have to believe in it. Otherwise, it can be very, very politically challenging. But I think we're working really hard in, in Canada, and the system we've designed so that if you don't have a price is smart. That it, it's not going to drive emissions out. So that if you're a business, you know, instead of using a Canadian going to you know a Canadian company, you're going to go to someone else. You have to design it in a way that makes sense, that um, has the, the impact that you want it to have and I think that if you do that, if you communicate with people well, um, if you bring people on board um, and if you're a bit courageous, I think you'll be okay.
0: Okay, let's sort of go uh, upstairs again. Um, question in the front row up there on the balcony. Minister, thank you very much for your time um, and speech, which is fascinating. Um, I'm Naz, and I'm at Systemic. Um, my question is around um, the rights of indigenous people that you uh, spoke about tangentially in your talk. Um, of course, they're disproportionately affected by climate change, um, and environmental changes. Um, what steps can the federal government take, and what practical measures can you take to ensure, firstly, that rights are protected, but also... Um, in the 21st century, um, that the indigenous people will continue to or further benefit from, um, you know, fostering clean growth uh, and and the benefits of the economies in the future. Thank you.
1: Um, So, I mean, the number one lesson uh, I've learned is you have to work with indigenous peoples. They have to be there talking to you about what solutions they want and and what they expect. Uh, we've been working really hard in Canada uh, with Indigenous peoples, um, and uh, in fact, when I go back, there's a there's a working group on the the our climate change plan and how we should implement it. Pieces like they want to be part of the solution. So getting off diesel, they want to make sure that, you know, in the rural and remote communities, that they also get jobs out of this, right? That if they get off diesel, they get jobs. It's not just a nice thing that we can say they're off diesel, um, you know, that, that jobs are an important piece. Um, the, the broader question that you have, though, is is, is it's, it's a really important question. So we've committed to implement um, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, um, and we really are committed to reconciliation and it's hard like we're still all trying to figure this out together Um, you know we have uh, also indigenous peoples also you kind of throw that together like it's a holistic group we have Inuit, we have Métis, we have First Nations and First Nations is over 600 communities so everyone's every community is different um, and you you have to you just have to work really hard Um, and so we're, we're trying to do that I think internationally it's been really important to push the envelope I think a lot of countries don't recognize the the rights of indigenous peoples. But even in in Canada, we have a long way to go. Um, And as you say, they're disproportionately impacted. They're often the poorest people uh, in in Canada. And they, you know, are wondering, like, what are we doing? And I I saw that when I went to the Arctic. It was uh, was really striking. Um, And figuring that out. So as they say to me, it's not just that you're going to save us, like... That's so paternalistic, but also, how do we? How are we part of the solution? We have we have solutions to offer. So, how do you properly use Indigenous traditional knowledge? Um, so it's something we're working hard. On. It, it is really hard, um, and uh, I'm lucky that I have like great friends and great you know Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people that help us try to figure out our way forward. But I think we can be. I think Canada can be a model on this. Um, we have. Um, our uh, Minister of Justice and Attorney General, she's Indigenous, um, and she is uh, driving this. Um, we have new principles to implement across the board. Um, so it's, it's hard, but uh, I think we're going to get to a much better spot. But, you know, for 150-plus years, the history of colonialism has been pretty brutal in Canada, and so fixing that and getting out in a, in a better place is, is going to take some time. And that I was think, a long answer, but that's an important question. Um,
0: somebody gets the last question, and it uh, has to be a really brilliant one. Let's go there in the middle and the front row. You, you look like you had no a really pressure, brilliant no question. Pressure. Pre- pressure is on. No you pressure. just need a microphone. Hi. Hi, I'm Tina Marchand. I'm a Canadian living and working in London. Um, I work on climate diplomacy at a think tank called E3G. and We really wanted to know if you could talk to us a bit more about the UK-Canada leadership or new alliance on phasing out coal Mm -hmm. and if you have some target countries in mind, people that, you know, as Canadians were looking to influence at COP could be the Commonwealth, could be (coughs) India, for example, as a major kind of coal I feel like this is
1: like a setup because I'm (laughs) doing an announcement with Claire Perry later, but uh, so stay tuned. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, phasing out coal is really important. Uh, You know, UK has done a really great job. Um, Canada, we've also announced that we're phasing out coal. Um, But I think that's really where we should, if you want to just be practical, get coal out of the electricity mix. And so the World Bank, we're working closely with the World Bank to look at what countries we could help um, make the decision to use renewables as opposed to coal. Um, I think, you know, obviously countries, that have the, the large uh, emitters like China, like India, are a really important part of this. But but China is working really, really hard in this front. Um, so I think that that is where we should all brainstorm, and we should just figure it out and, and just help. It, it, as I say, it's often just a financing thing. The countries would say, "Like we would go to renewables, it's just too expensive. So let's just figure out how we can how we can do that." So happy to to talk to you guys later.
0: Very good. It's just one more thing to do before you all disappear to your next lecture. And that's just to thank Catherine McKenna very, very much. This has been an amazing hour. We covered a hell of a lot of ground, and.
1: That's you have the
0: answers to everything. Really, really impressive. I don't know so about that. Thank I, you very much.
1: But you know what? I just want to thank you guys. <laughs> you know what? It's, it, it is really, really special to be back here at LC. I have really fond memories uh, of my time here. And uh, you know what? It's just an amazing time. So enjoy your experience here. Go to all these lectures. You get all sorts of people who come in. Uh, and then go do great things.
0: Thank you. And that was great advice. <laughs>